Welcome to What in the World is Dyscalculia, a podcast that focuses on the specific learning disorder that impacts math. This podcast is presented by EduCalc Learning, and I'm your host, Dr. Honora Wall, Dyscalculia Specialist and Student Advocate, and I'm excited to be with you today. I'm right in the middle of recording voiceover for our Dyscalculia Specialist Certification Program. And I had to take a break for just a moment. I'm doing the voiceover for the lessons for middle school teachers. And I was thinking about how many things happen in middle school math and how they impact students with dyscalculia. And that's what I want to talk about in today's episode. The good news for students with dyscalculia is that once they get into middle school, the dyscalculia trifecta, time, money, and place value, is gone. We're not asking those kinds of questions anymore. We've moved on to new topics. And these new topics have some very interesting concerns for students with dyscalculia. So we're talking about 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Now, the middle school math experience is very different in different parts of the country. I do work with students in many different states, some in public school, some in private schools, some who homeschool. So I've seen a wide variety of approaches to middle school math. Certainly some things are the same uh, anywhere you go. We have a lot of graphing in middle school. We're introducing variables in a really specific way. And we're learning all sorts of different rules for how do you play the game of math. It certainly doesn't feel like a game to many of our students, but honestly that's what we're learning. What are the rules to working in this math environment? So let's pull these apart. And the first thing I'll look at is the graphing piece. So creating a graph involves taking an equation, later on called taking a function, they mean the same thing, and plugging in some x value, some kind of number, any number at all. Sometimes we're given those numbers, sometimes we get to make them up. And we put that number into the equation, we do the work, and we see what happens. Then we take our input and output, and we make a picture out of it. That's our creating a graph. This can be troublesome for students who still have low numeracy skills and haven't really worked with the support tools to support their numeracy or feel good about solving math problems. Use a calculator. If you're not allowed to use a calculator in the classroom or as a teacher, if you're very resistant still to letting students use a calculator in the classroom, just use the calculator at home so at least you're having successful math experiences you can reflect on and you're practicing the skills. And that will translate into classroom performance. And teachers, the calculator is simply a tool Let's train students how to use them properly so that they can focus on the purpose of these equations, the purpose of these functions. Let's move away from the numeracy focus 
and get into the graphing focus. Now coming at it the other way, reading a graph means that we're looking at the picture and then trying to figure out what happened, trying to figure out what are the important parts of this graph. Where are we touching the y-axis? What is the intercept? What does that mean? Usually in middle school we're only looking for the y-intercept, but sometimes we have the x-intercepts, sometimes that comes into play later. These can be confusing topics for students and looking at a graph or looking at graph paper, maybe the x and y-axis stand out, but maybe they don't seem to be very much different from the other lines on our graph paper or on our coordinate grid. As teachers, we want to spend a little more time talking with our students and making sure that they know exactly what the axis line is, exactly what the intercept means. Explaining slope and looking at slope from a graph can be very strange topics to explain, especially for students with dyscalculia, because a lot of times they're very linear, concrete thinkers. They need a little more time to really feel comfortable with abstract thoughts and processes that are making a lot of sense, especially when it happens in math class, which is already not making a lot of sense. One of the great things about teaching students with dyscalculia is that you're going to become a much better math teacher because you're going to have to find new ways of explaining concepts. You're going to have to find new tricks and new methods and new analogies and new metaphors. And you're probably going to find that your students with dyscalculia are better either at creating or at reading graphs, depending on their visual spatial skills and depending on how comfortable they are with different tools like calculators or times tables charts. So that's one big piece of middle school math. The other really big piece is the expansion of variables. Sadly, we are pushing so much algebra into elementary school textbooks in a way that is not appropriate for the development of our children, that students come into middle school having been exposed to variables or having been exposed to an unknown in an equation. But that doesn't mean the exposure made any sense. And it does not mean that for students with dyscalculia, the use of the unknown or finding an unknown makes any sense. At middle school age, a lot of students with dyscalculia are still trying to become comfortable with the idea that math is about a problem. You have a problem, you have to solve it. That was a big enough hurdle. And now all of a sudden, we're telling them, well, what about when you don't even know what the problem is? And you're trying to figure it out and work backwards. Very tough skill. So we want to give our students a little more time in this area and a little more support. I do not recommend pushing students with dyscalculia into Algebra 1 in middle school. There really is not a very beneficial point to it. There's plenty of time in high school to take high school math courses. And middle school is our last chance to make a really strong foundation, to find the places of weakness and shore them up, to find the places of strength and expand them, and to help students learn how they can best study, how they can best advocate for their needs, and how they can best 
succeed in a traditional classroom. That's plenty to handle as a 6th, 7th, or 8th grader. Earning high school credit does not also have to be something that happens at this stage. So let's let middle schoolers just be middle schoolers. And with these variables, we want to spend more time helping them develop a bridge to abstract thought. We want to really reinforce working forward with substitution, putting numbers into a problem and seeing what happens. And within that same unit, then saying, well, what if we didn't know? How can we work from there? Remember that dyscalculia impacts the ability to remember and follow steps and procedures and formulas. So make sure your students have their formula sheet, their reference sheet, their personalized notes where they've written down what they usually forget. And that you've given them worked examples so they can follow steps because their parietal lobe is confusing this information and storing it almost like in a mental junk drawer. So it's hard to remember what to do in which circumstance. Another place where we really want to support our middle school students, another big issue, is that there are so many rules and regulations that we're teaching. There are some things that happen only when you add or subtract. And there are very different things that happen when you multiply and divide. There are some properties that only apply when you add or multiply. And they're totally different from subtraction and division. Sometimes you're allowed to do certain things and sometimes you're not. You know, in middle school, we really start working with integers. Well, we've just spent five years or more telling children that they have to start subtracting from the bigger number. And now all of a sudden we throw that out the window? This is very confusing for children and it's frustrating for many students with dyscalculia because what are they supposed to believe? What they were learning before or what they're doing now and why is it different? We need to have an explanation for that so that students understand what's going on. And we want to let them make those notes have those references so they can remind themselves, especially during a quiz or a test, what are you supposed to do when you're multiplying? When I'm adding things that have different signs, that's different from multiplying with the different signs. Which one is which? Which time do I combine the numbers? Which time do I keep the sign? When do I get rid of the sign? When does it change? All of these different questions that come up for our students. And I used quite a few different vocabulary terms in there. Getting rid of a sign or changing a sign or what do you do with a sign. That really mimics the experience of our students with dyscalculia. We're spending so much time moving them through standards so quickly that the nuances of the vocabulary and the essence of the word choice can get away from them. So you want to spend a little more time at that part and... Don't rush through your topics too quickly. If you hear students saying something that's close but not quite accurate, pause for a minute and help them with that accuracy and say, you know, I, I understand what you're saying with this. I think a more precise way to say it is like this. That, I think, will help you with the concept or remember it more.
first of all, it will help them with the concept and help them remember it more. Second, you're giving immediate corrective feedback. Third, you're having a conversation with them so they know that math is not all take a problem, solve it, turn in your work. But no, it's a conversation. It's something that we talk about. We can go back and forth on how we both see it and come to an understanding of what's going on within a problem. That kind of mathematical thinking is what we want to develop before we send them off into high school math. Now, interwoven through all of this is the socialization piece, which is huge for middle schoolers. Shockingly to me, I still hear way too many teachers say way too many negative things to their students. If this is a problem you're having, if social-emotional learning really doesn't make a lot of sense to you, you need to figure that piece out. Because if you are being negative with your students and making them feel badly about themselves, and they always know what you truly think of them, then you're being a barrier. And you need to knock it off. It's not that difficult to speak nicely to children. And it's not that difficult to find something they've been successful in, something they did right, something that is a strength. Look for those things in all of your students and make sure you're pointing them out. That's very vital in a classroom setting also, because how we treat children in front of their peers is incredibly important to them in middle school. They're defining themselves as people. And we want to help them define themselves as learners. Being positive, being proactive, mentioning and highlighting success and supporting them when they struggle goes a long way to making them better students and to helping us have a nicer day at work. Another socialization piece that's important for this group is to use different types of assessments. If you've done any universal design for learning training, you already have a good handle on different assessments. If you've gone to any of my training seminars on how to use unusual activities to support struggling students, or if you have a copy of our Games for the Brain book, then you're already familiar with some of the different activities and projects you can do. Art projects, music projects, crossover with the history department, doing reports on mathematicians, or playing games with cards or with dice, or making art posters to put up on the wall. All of these intersect with math and mathematical thinking. And anyone can win in this kind of an activity. So students don't feel quite so put on the spot if they are failing or passing, because everyone has a much more equal chance at success. This can open the door for your students to find access to becoming good math students. And that is what leads them to future math success. While, of course, we want to do that in elementary and high school as well, in middle school, it's vital. Middle school human development is a very unique time. And it is true, middle school teachers are the heroes. I do enjoy teaching middle school, but that is a tough job. It is not for the weak of heart. It is not for the mean-hearted. And it is not for the weak. 
but it's incredibly rewarding. If you are a middle school teacher, you already know that this is our last chance to really put those remaining um, thoughts onto our students, help them define themselves going into high school. What kind of people are they going to become? This is our last chance to make sure that they think of themselves in the best possible way, that they have really great habits for self-advocacy, for studying, for finding out information on their own, for being engaged in the school process. And for students with dyscalculia, sometimes we've lost that chance by middle school because a lot of middle school age students have moved to homeschool. It was just too frustrating. They kept fighting, trying to find a place for success and trying to get help in elementary school and it didn't happen. So now they're going the homeschool route. I have a lot of students who have been through that situation. We have a lot of impact in middle school. It can be positive impact or it can be negative. For students with dyscalculia, very small changes on our part can make this a positive experience for them. Understand and recognize that there are visual-spatial issues involved in dyscalculia and support students as we're doing more visual work in math. Understand that the switch to abstract thinking is something that happens for each person on their own unique timeline and it can take longer for students with dyscalculia. They're very concrete, linear thinkers. And that is a strength, not a weakness. It just doesn't always mesh very well with what we want them to do in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And give them support tools that include reference sheet, formula sheets, personalized notes, and worked examples. Because we're throwing lots of different rules, regulations, properties, order of operations, steps, procedures. It's a lot to keep straight. The more you support your students in keeping them straight, the more success they're going to find in your class. The more success they have, the more they can reflect on the best way to learn. And that's how we really change the conversation for students with dyscalculia. They can and should come out of middle school feeling great about themselves as mathematical thinkers and as about capable students who can find their own success. And that's our job before they leave us at the end of eighth grade. If you have any other questions or comments about this, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, Honora, H-O-N-O-R-A, at educalclearning.com, or visit the website, educalclearning.com. You can leave us a message through there. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear us address in future episodes. Look at some of the books we have, either through the website or on Amazon. And find out where we're going to be next for our training. If we're going to be near you, make sure you come say hi. If you'd like to schedule training for your teachers, let us know. We're happy to come to you or to create something online if that's a better option. I'm Dr. Honora Wall, and I appreciate you being here today listening to this episode of What in the World is Dyscalculia? We'll talk soon.